Hi there, it's Kath Ann, weekly host of the Homework Help Show. This week on the show, we went back to review some of our favorite academic tips. Over the past year or so of the show, we have created some valuable content with students in mind. Today, in celebration of our 50th episode, we have crammed our best tips into a cool video that we hope you will enjoy. Join me on episode 51. Okay, let's start with some writing tips. From writing a thesis statement, to doing an outline, to writing a strong conclusion. Tip number one, do not use contractions. Now, what are contractions? Again, this is for academic writing. Contractions are words like don't, can't, shouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't, isn't, haven't, and hasn't. So. These are the shorter forms of words like do not, cannot, could not, would not, should not, is not, have not, and has not. It is better to write out the word in full within your academic paper or in your business writing because it just looks more professional. Notice how, for example, with cannot, it is one word, it's, con it's condensed into um, C-A-N-N-O-T, whereas if you write do not, it still remains as two separate words. So that's important to note um, when you are expanding contractions. Um, this is a really important one because it's something that can really slip your mind when you're writing an academic paper, and it's really important to be attentive to using contractions throughout your paper. So always make sure that you go over your paper before you hand it in and make sure that you are not using contractions um, before you hand it in because this is one that professors really do not like. It makes your writing seem a little bit too uh, kind of easygoing and colloquial. So make sure you are avoiding using contractions, expand those words and sound more professional. Tip number two, avoid there is or there are. When we write, we don't want our sentences to be too wordy or convoluted. We want our sentences to be concise and to the point. So when we use there are, it adds extra words that really don't need to be there. They're kind of redundant and they're not required. So for example, there are many issues that politicians face daily. So that's adding a little bit of uh, time and words to um, your point, you really don't need there are at the beginning of the sentence. Instead, you could just write politicians face many issues on a daily basis. Much more simple, much more to the point. Tip number three, avoid words like really, very, a lot, and so. So the reason for this is that it weakens your writing when you're using these words. You really do not need to use these words. When you use some of these words, it makes your writing not as strong. So it makes it come across as a little bit more amateur and you really don't need to use these words. Tip number four, use an active voice. Let's talk about what the difference is between passive voice and active voice. And I'm gonna use an example to do this. Immigration reforms were implemented by Trudeau. That is written in the passive voice. Here we have the past tense of the verb to be. So we have were, 
And we also have the past participle of the verb to implement. So implemented. And then we also have the word by, which um, is usually something that kind of indicates that we are speaking in the passive voice. And as you can see, it's just not a very strong sentence. It doesn't, it takes away from what Trudeau has done. It doesn't put him kind of front and center within the sentence. So the sentence would be much stronger if it was written as Trudeau implemented immigration reforms. This strengthens the message of the sentence. Tip number five, use strong verbs. So there's a difference between strong verbs and weak verbs. Let's do another example. A weak verb is, he gave assistance to my friend. So here we're using the word gave um, with the noun assistance. As you can see, the word assistance can be actually used as a verb. So a stronger way to say this would be, he assisted my friend. It's much more direct and much more straight to the point. And the verb is much stronger. You get a stronger sense of what the writer is trying to say when they're using that type of verb. Tip number six, use other points of view. You want to explore other points of view. And this is absolutely necessary when you are writing um, an academic paper because you don't only want to provide one view of a topic or one analysis of um, some research because you want to have a well-rounded analysis. So by presenting and exploring other points of view, you're also going to have a stronger argument um, because you're going to understand what the other person or what the other group of people will say about the topic and you will be able to therefore strengthen your own argument. Tip number seven, make sure you understand the topic. When you're doing an essay, you really want to take the essay prompt and kind of deconstruct it. Deconstructing the essay question uh, really helps to kind of frame out what you're going to write. Tip number eight, use a framework. It is really important to structure your essay because this gives it a logical flow. Um, and one of the most basic and helpful ways to structure an essay is to use the five paragraph structure. And because the five paragraph essay format is so common, your professor will know or your reader will know what to expect. So if anyone hasn't heard of the five paragraph essay, I'm going to go through it a little bit more in depth. But basically what it is, is it's an introduction, three body paragraphs, and then a conclusion. There are tons of templates that you can use if you're a type of person that likes to use a template. Um, certainly take out a piece of paper and write down um, your, your topic and your research question or your thesis and then uh, your three body paragraphs and your conclusion and that gives you a bit of an outline to work with. Tip number nine, proofread, edit. Many of us do not give ourselves enough time to edit. A lot of students do not edit their work. But even if you are an incredibly amazing writer, you're still going to need to edit because you're going to make mistakes. Um, it's just the nature of human beings. We all make mistakes, so we all have to edit. So make sure that you're giving yourself a lot of time uh, to edit and proofread. Um, and again, I know that it is um, best to, to save paper if we can, but 
in this case, it can be really helpful actually to print off your essay and do the same thing that you did with the initial essay question. Just go through and um, highlight things, underline things, cross things out, um, and then you can go back onto your computer and um, type up and insert all of the uh, edits that you made. Tip number 10, know how and when to paraphrase. Paraphrasing refers to the process of taking, taking some language and reworking it in your own words, but still capturing the same theme. And you really want to make sure that you are not plagiarizing when you do this. Uh, because it can be really tempting, especially if something's written very eloquently um, and you don't feel that you can do it justice, um, to kind of copy it and think that no one will notice. But that is not the case because we have programs now which uh, can track whether, whether things have been um, plagiarized or not. So it is likely that when your prof um, runs something through the plagiarism checker and it comes up as plagiarized, uh, then you could be docked for that. So make sure when you're paraphrasing, really break down the concepts in the same way that you did in the initial question. Really break down the concepts in that paragraph. If you think it's a really strong paragraph that you want to include in um, your essay, then certainly use it, but you have to put it in your own words. So make sure you're going through underlining, highlighting, circling, and then reworking it in your own words. And there's no shame in using a thesaurus or a dictionary uh, to kind of flush out and um, figure out new words to use that capture the same essence. Tip number 11. When writing a thesis statement, do your research. Make sure you do your research prior to writing a thesis statement. Being familiar with the information out there will help you to find, find a legitimate argument and be familiar with the topic that you're discussing. It will make it way easier for you to write an effective thesis statement. Tip number 12. Don't bury your thesis statement in your first paragraph. You want it to be at least uh, the second to last paragraph or the second to last sentence or the very last sentence in your introduction paragraph. Tip number 13. Be creative with your thesis statement. When you copy another person's opinion or argument, you are risking the chance of plagiarism. Writing a well-crafted original thesis statement will get you good points with your professor and make you stand out as a student. Tip number 14, avoid restating the prompt. This might be tempting because it just seems easier. However, it is indicative of lazy and boring writing. This will only go to show your professor that you don't care very much about the essay question and it won't bode well for you on the exam. When you are writing an essay for an exam, you want to be creative and show that you can think in a critical way and independently. Be creative, use the notes that you have already written prior to your exam and draw on those to develop a well-rounded essay that is creative and interesting and engaging to the professor. Tip number 15, end with a strong conclusion. Most writing guidelines suggest that it is best to restate the points that you've made throughout, as well as summarize your essay in the conclusion. However, this is also indicative of boring writing, and it's an ineffective way to end your essay. Think instead about synthesizing the various points that you have made throughout your exam 
an essay question rather than just simply restating. Although you're not trying to prove a new point, you're going to try to synthesize your points into a well-rounded argument that you have also shown in your essay. Think about it as a way to tie everything together at the end of your essay. Learning how to study is crucial for academic success, and it is important to find methods that work for you. While everyone has their own study style, try incorporating some of these tips into your study routine. Tip number 16, do active recall. Active learning is just as it sounds. In order to truly learn a new piece of information, you must engage with it and trick your brain into working with it. This activates new neural pathways in the brain, which creates new space in the brain for new information. There are a variety of ways that you can incorporate active recall into your study routine, and I'm going to give you a couple of steps about how to do that. Step one, copy it all down. So you're in class, the TA, professor, instructor puts a question up on the board. Record that, write that down in your notebook. Don't use a computer, use a pen and paper or a pencil. And don't worry at this point if you don't understand, this is part of the process. Step number two, start small. Start by breaking a problem down and go through step by step. Break down each component of the problem, write out equations, drawing out all of the concepts that you have learned thus far. Write out formulas that you have learned and work diligently with the question, putting everything you know into the question. Even if you don't get the correct answer, this is going to be a step towards your learning process. Step number three, do active recall. Once you become familiar with all of the steps involved in solving this type of a problem, engage in active recall by taking a new problem and trying to figure it out from the ground up. You can still break it down in steps, write out all the formulas and everything that you think you need to solve this, the problem and come to a solution. And again, make sure you are not looking at the answer. The less you make use of those resources, the better you are going to be able to adapt and to be able to do this process in a time crunch on an exam. Tip number 17, learn to recognize which information you should focus on studying. Let me explain. Have you ever become frustrated at another student because they seem to have spent a very small time on studying when you have been cramming for weeks and weeks and weeks? Well, this is likely because they have honed on in on specific information that they believe the professor will be putting on the exam. And you may have been studying a bit too broad. So what you want to do when you are studying for an exam is to hone in on very specific information that you think will be on the exam and study that information. You can do this by asking the professor questions about what is going to be on the exam. You can look at key themes that arise throughout the course of the semester. If there is a topic that the professor keeps going back to, it is a good bet that that will be on the exam. You can look through your textbook, as I mentioned, and look for practice questions because those tend to be the types of information that will arrive on the exam. You can consult with former students of that class and see if they remember anything that may have been on the test in a year before. Tip number 18, set a pre-study routine. Before you begin to study, 
make yourself comfortable, but not too comfortable. You don't want to fall asleep. Grab a snack, a glass of water, and a cup of coffee or tea. Always study in the same place every time. When you begin your exam, recall the place that you studied. This will help you with recall on your test and it will help you drum up some of the information that you studied in that specific place. Tip number 19, beware the forgetting curve. When you begin to study, there is a tendency to forget very quickly. This tendency is even stronger when you are studying new information. This tendency is referred to as the forgetting curve. Forgetting occurs naturally when there is no effort made to retain the information. A way to combat this is to review your notes regularly. When you are actively studying, review your notes every 20 minutes to increase your retention of new information. Tip number 20, use the Pomodoro method. The Pomodoro technique is a cyclical system. You work in sprints and then you take a break. Working in short sprints increases productivity and taking a break increases motivation and creativity. All you need to complete the Pomodoro technique is a timer. First, decide on the task you would like to complete. For example, if you'd like to review all of chapter one, that will be your task. Set your timer for 25 minutes and work for a 25 minute sprint. When the timer goes off, make a check mark on a piece of paper you have at the side of your desk. This will indicate that you've completed one Pomodoro. Take a five minute break, then reset your timer and begin a new 25 minute session. Complete four rounds of Pomodoro. Once you have completed the full four rounds, take a longer break. This break can be anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. Get up, stretch, walk around, and get something to drink. Once you have completed your longer break, you will be ready to jump into another four round session of Pomodoro. Tip number 21, use flashcards. Basically the reason flashcards work is that they promote something called active recall. This means that it helps you to exercise the muscle which allows you to actively retrieve information from the brain, which is one of the most effective ways uh, of studying uh, because it's helping you to exercise that muscle of retrieving information. And when you do that over and over and over again, it actually strengthens that muscle. Tip number 22, make your own flashcards. So it might be tempting to use someone else's cards because as I said, they can be a little bit time consuming to make. Um, and if you're super busy and you're a student, it, you might not want to take that extra chunk of time that it takes to create your own flashcards, but it's really important for you to make your own flashcards because one, you are going to retain more information if you make them um, because one of the most important tenets of intaking information is actually learning the information and working with it in your brain and that helps you to retain the information. Um, so even though you might save some time, um, 
using someone else's flashcards, they won't be as effective for you if you do, because you won't be as familiar with the content that you're creating. Exams are tough, but we all have to get through them. Creating a pre-study routine and going into your exam with a positive mindset can help to improve your overall performance. Here are some tricks to incorporate into your study routine that will help you to ace your next exam. Tip number 23, get plenty of rest the night before an exam. Sleep is an active process where the brain works to heal the body and it produces hormones which are beneficial to repair and growth. This is obviously a major component of learning and processing. This is also time for the brain to reconsolidate memories and things that we've learned or studied during the day. So particularly when you are studying for a test, you're going to want to make sure you are getting a good amount of sleep so that your body can process everything that you've learned. Tip number 24. Eat a healthy breakfast before your test. When you wake up in the morning from your really good sleep, make sure you are having a healthy breakfast, but nothing that is too heavy. You want something a bit lighter because when you are digesting a heavy breakfast, this can actually take blood flow away from the brain and you're going to need all the blood flowing to your brain so you are able to ace that test. Also, if you are a coffee drinker, try to avoid drinking caffeine right up until the exam time. This will give you the jitters before the test and you are also already full of jitters, so you don't want to increase that in your body. It's fine to have a cup of coffee, but maybe limit it to half a cup and make sure you're having it with your breakfast early in the morning and not right up until when your test is happening. Tip number 25, write down your anxieties and fears do a bit of a brain dump. Research has shown that when you do this, you can actually free up space in your brain and it will improve the grade that you get on your test. Writing things down will help you to understand your fears and manage them more effectively. Tip number 26, arrive ahead of time. Give yourself lots of time to be there and be present for the test. You will want time to mentally prepare, and rushing or running late to the exam will certainly increase anxiety because you won't feel as prepared and your body won't be as settled and ready to take a test. Tip number 27, make sure all of your materials are ready to go. For example, make sure that your computer is working properly, that your calculator has batteries and that it's turning on. You wanna make sure that all of your pencils are sharpened and that your pens are working well as it will ease your mind when you are entering into the test and it will free up space in your mind so that you can focus on just taking the test. Tip number 28, develop a pre-test ritual. Consistent habits and behaviors can put you at ease in a stressful situation. So when your body is ready to be stressed out, some of these habits that you've developed along the way can help to put your body at ease. For example, go for a short walk, listen to some of your favorite music, and visualizing your success on an exam are all strategies that you can use to put your mind and your body at ease before you go into a test. Tip number 29, meditate. Just close your eyes, breathe deeply, and relax your muscles. This might not be for everyone, However, it is an effective strategy. I've used it myself before going into an interview and I can tell you that it truly does work. 
Do this for about five minutes. You can do it for up to 10 minutes. Set a timer on your phone. Think back to a time when you did really well on a test. You aced the test and you scored well. That was you in your zone. Recapture the feelings of what it felt like to be in your zone and experience that by recalling how you actually felt in that situation. Think about how you were calm, your muscles were relaxed, and your motivation to succeed was very high. By visualizing a success and by putting your body into that state, you are actually helping to manifest a better grade on your test and you're putting your body into a state to be prepared for success. Tip number 30, avoid anxious test takers. We're all familiar with the group of people prior to an exam who are standing outside the gymnasium or the classroom and they are not prepared for the test so they are evidently swamped with stress however standing around these people is not going to help you in the least if you know the room is crowded and you know that people are particularly anxious don't worry about being a loner find yourself a spot to go and just chill there think positive thoughts take deep breaths do your basic meditation and focus on your own preparation and your own future success in the exam. Tip number 31. When you begin a multiple choice test, read the test over in its entirety. Review each question. Sometimes professors will provide hints throughout the test that will indicate the answers to other questions. Reviewing it in advance can help you to answer these questions appropriately. Tip number 32, answer the hard questions first. This will allow you to use your brain power for the difficult questions to begin with. Then when you have less brain power, you can focus on the easier questions. When you receive a multiple choice question, tip number 33, read each question twice. Because multiple choice questions are seemingly easy to answer and usually quite short, we might rush through them and answer them incorrectly. Take some time to read them over twice and this will enhance your chances of answering them correctly. Tip number 34, double check your answers at the end of each page. This will allow you more time at the end of the test. Even if you do not have time to review the whole test in its entirety, you will be able to know that you have reviewed each page as you've got along. When there are only a few questions, such as on each page, it is easier to check the test for mistakes. Tip number 35. Know that it's rare for consecutive answers to be the same. If you're trying to figure out the difference between A and B, consider your last answer. If your last answer was A, it is likely that this next answer is not also A. The same stands for true and false questions. If you are trying to narrow it down, you can rely on the fact that it is rare for two consecutive answers to be the same. Tip number 36. When an option, all of the above, or none of the above are correct 52% of the time. While academia will require you to study, write, and take lots of tests, it will also challenge you in other ways, from dreaded group projects to critical thinking skills. Here are some tips that will help you to navigate the obstacles that you will face throughout your academic career. Tip number 37, 
learn to ask basic questions. So what I mean by that is that as we know, our social world is really complex and there is tons of information to take in. And as students, when we're going through and sifting through research and literature, it can often be overwhelming and seem very complicated um, and just be a little bit over our heads. However, however, we can begin to simply by asking very simple questions. Tip number 38, question your own assumptions. So particularly when you're writing a paper or thinking through a problem, you are going to be coming at it with your own uh, biases and analyses from everyday life. We all have these basic assumptions and that's okay. But academic quality work must extend beyond our basic assumptions towards analysis and th synth synthesis of information. When we check our own assumptions at the door, we can go into analysis with a clear head and uh, go into research with an open mind, which is really important. Tip number 39, think for yourself. Although you will evidently be drawing on academic literature and information when you do the research and write papers, it is important to remember to think for yourself. While this does not mean incorporating your own opinion or biases into your writing, it does mean that you must analyze uh, the situation through a critical lens. So go back and ask um, basic questions as we discussed. What is missing? Is there a gap in the literature? What is this research saying? Does it make sense in, in relation to other research that you've seen on the topic? Think through the literature using your own power of deduction. So although you will be drawing on resources to make your point, you want to make sure that you're using your own critical thinking skills because you'll be increasing that critical thinking muscle. Tip number 40. Learn Tuckman's five stages of group development. First, we have forming. The forming stage happens when the group first meets each other, are introduced to each other, they share information about their backgrounds and their experiences, their interests. They learn about the project and they start to gain an understanding of where they will fit within the group and what role they will take on. As the group begins to work together, they move into what is called the storming stage. Unfortunately, this stage is unavoidable. Every group, most especially a new group that has never worked together before, will certainly encounter a storming stage. In this stage, group members compete with each other for status and they look for acceptance from the others in the group. They have different opinions on what should be done and how it should be done and these all present challenges in group formation. This stage will come to a closure when the group becomes more accepting of each other and learns how to work together towards a common goal. Third, we have the norming stage. When the team moves into the norming stage, they are beginning to look beyond their individual goals and towards the bigger picture and the larger project. They're no longer focused on individual tasks, but they're, rather they're focused on working together. They've developed processes and procedures that will help them to work towards this larger goal. They respect each other's opinions and they value each other's differences. Fourth, we have the performing stage. In the performing stage, 
Groups are highly effective. They focus on reaching the goal as a group. The team members have gotten to know each other. They work really cohesively. They trust and they rely on each other. Now, I should mention that not every group is going to make it to the performing stage, they may just rest in the norming stage. And this is completely fine, particularly in cases where you are working with people that are in your class and it is just a small group project. Finally, we have the adjourning stage. In the adjourning stage, the project has been completed and team members are looking to go their separate ways. This stage takes on a new perspective and looks at the team well-being rather than the individual project itself. At this stage, you will have completed your project and you may want an opportunity to celebrate what you've done together. It's always important to remember that every team, every group, regardless of what you're working on, will follow these stages of development. Knowing these stages and understanding them will help you to navigate the different challenges you encounter It'll help you to understand where you are in the group process and why some behaviors might be coming out. It will also help you to understand your own role within the group and the different processes that your group members are participating in. Tip number 41, use the Corzin technique. If you are facing a complex problem, break it down into smaller components. If you get stuck, ask yourself, what is it that I do not understand? Break each small question down and then ask yourself, where are you getting stuck? Give yourself at least 15 minutes on each component of the question in order to understand exactly where you are going wrong or what you don't understand. Consult with other students after the 15 minutes. Maybe they have an idea of how to solve the problem that you're not thinking of. If you are truly stuck, then go to your professor after the 15 minutes. Be able to show your professor exactly where you are getting stuck and ask them a very specific question about the problem you are having. What you are hoping to avoid here is going to the professor right away as soon as you get the question without taking the time to break it down and understand where you might be going wrong or where there might be a misunderstanding. If you use the Corzin technique, you are strengthening your critical thinking skills. As we near the end of our 50 tips, I would like to switch gears and move towards life outside the classroom. Student life is stressful. It can be difficult to find a balance between doing well in school and everything you have going on outside of school. Too much stress can be detrimental to your health, which is why mindfulness and self-care are so important. Tip number 42, practice gratitude. So. Uh, like, you know, yoga practice and meditation practice, um, we also have to practice gratitude. And that's why you'll hear it phrased that way, because it is actually a practice. It's something that you have to work on. Many of us don't realize that our brains are not actually hardwired to practice gratitude. Um, although that sounds like a weird statement, we're actually hardwired to um, go the other way and be... Um, preventative and look for the dangers in life. So that kind of prevents us from um, naturally seeking out uh, thoughts of gratitude. So one of the ways that we can practice gratitude is to, when we wake up in the morning, before we even get out of bed, we can make a list in our heads of three or five things that we're grateful for. 
And then another way to kind of bring gratitude into your life is to look at your whole day through a lens of gratitude. So not just in the morning, but as you navigate your day, you look at things to be grateful for. So whereas sometimes we see the negative in life, so say we're driving in traffic uh, in Toronto and the highway is really backed up, uh, that could be a really negative experience. But if we frame it through a lens of gratitude, we might think, I am grateful to have a car to be able to commute to work. I am grateful to be able to have the money to put gas in my car. And then that kind of gets you towards closer to um, a lens of gratitude and you approach life in a more grateful way. Tip number 43. Use the 54321 technique when you're feeling restless. If, if meditation's not for you, there are some other ways that you can um, navigate feeling stress and overwhelm. So one of the ways, it's called, um, and I can probably put it in the comments or you can message us later if you forget, um, but you can always ask access these videos later too if it's something that interests you, but um, it's called 54321 or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, and it's actually a mindfulness and awareness technique that you can use um, when you're trying to go to sleep and you're feeling restless. It will help you to calm down. If you're in a stressful situation, it will bring uh, you more mindfulness and just bring you into the present moment and stop uh, any racing thoughts that you're having. So what it is, is basically you start at the number five and you're, and you're thinking of it as you're doing a countdown. So you start with five and you say, you want to think about five things that you see. So you're in a room and you might look at five things you see. So five things I see are my computer, my phone, my microphone, my cup of tea, and my glasses. And you literally name them out loud. If you're at work or in class, you might not want to name them out loud. Uh, so you can name them to yourself. But if you're in your car or somewhere alone, um, or you're trying to get to sleep, it might be helpful to, lay, to name them out loud. So you, um, you'll name five things you can see. And then you want, will want to name five things you can hear. So I can hear the dripping tap. I can hear my computer fan running. I can hear the wind outside. I can hear my own voice. I can hear the dripping tap. So you can name things again if you can't, if you can only hear so many things. So the idea is that you want to name five things you can hear. And then you want to name five things you can feel. So I can feel my hands touching together. I can feel my legs on the couch. I can feel um, my feet on the couch. I can feel my back on the seat. And I can feel the cushion underneath me. So you want to name five things that you can feel. And I'm getting calm just going through this process. Um, and then you want to do four things of each 
and then three, and then two, and then one. And honestly, every time I do this, it helps me fall asleep. So this is an amazing technique that you can use. It's very calming and very mindful. It brings you in the present moment and it makes you um, not think about all that other stuff that's going on in your head. And it also helps you be a little bit more observant. Tip number 44, make SMART resolutions. And what I mean by SMART is S-M-A-R-T, which is the acronym for making a SMART goal. Don't make vague statements about your goals. A lot of times we will set goals, but we won't be able to attain them because they are too vague. This is where the SMART acronym can come in handy. Use the SMART acronym to make defined and achievable goals. Let's go through what the SMART acronym stands for. Make goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. For example, don't say, I want to work out more. Say, I want to work out three times a week. This is a very specific goal. It's not as vague as I want to work out more. Measure that goal. Keep track of it and write down how many times you actually go to the gym within the run of a week. This will help you measure your goal and in the long run, help you to be more successful. Make sure your goal is something that you are able to attain. So make sure it is attainable. Don't set a goal that is too lofty. For example, if you are not going to the gym at all now, maybe don't make a goal to go seven days a week. Start out with three and if you get more, that's great. Just make sure your goal is attainable. You also want to make sure that your goal is relevant. Is it something that means something to you? What does losing weight or getting fit, going to the gym mean to you? Does it have meaning in your life? Your goals should have meaning because that will help motivate you along the way. And if they don't have meaning, then you will be less likely to achieve them. And finally, you want to make sure that your goals are time bound three times a week. That gives you a logical time frame within which to work and it can help you along the way to being more successful. Tip number 45, prep your meals. Meal prep can help with time management. Each Sunday, take a few hours to go grocery shopping and get everything you need for the week. Plan out a menu and make meals in bulk. Use a big pot or a crock pot. Make meals in bulk and then freeze them throughout the week so that you have something to quickly grab while you are trying to focus on school and you don't have to worry about meals. Smoothies are also a great option for a breakfast grab and go. Make a batch of muffins and have them on hand for yourself in the morning so you can grab it and run out the door to take the bus or drive to school. Tip number 46, know your support network. When things get stressful at school, it can be really helpful to know that you have some people in your life that you can fall back on and that you can rely on. Some students living at a distance from their families may not have these built-in connections, so it can help to foster these relationships. Reach out to these people before you go back to school and ask if they're willing to help with anything while you are in school. Do you need a drive to school when it is a big snowstorm and know someone that has a truck? Connect with them and see if they'd be willing to do this. Do you need a respite from school or being in the city? Maybe you have family living outside the city. Could you visit them on the weekend and just have some downtime to do some studying at their home? These are all ways to foster relationships, but also to secure your support network so that you feel comfortable moving into a new semester and that you feel secure having that support network, especially if you're living away from home. Tip number 47, 
Recognize what stress is. Stress is a normal part of life. But there are times in our lives where we have more stress than other times. For example, during exam period. If you find that you are not responding to situations the same way as you always will, it could be due to stress. Take a step back, articulate stress, and find a way to manage and cope with stress. Tip number 48, be intentional about your time. Create a schedule that works for you. Complete difficult tasks during your highest energy times and leave simpler tasks to when you have less energy. If you are a morning person and you have a lot of energy in the morning, spend your high energy times to complete difficult tasks. Leave easier tasks until a time when you have less energy. Figure out a schedule that works for you and for when you have the most energy. Tip number 49, keep up on your schoolwork. Keeping up on your schoolwork is an imperative aspect of managing your time and managing stress. When you let your schoolwork go, it could cause undue stress. You will spend your time catching up and this will cause you more stress in the long run. Spend some time throughout the week finishing readings and completing tasks. When you keep up on your schoolwork, you will also save yourself stress during exam time because you will be more familiar with the content of your course and you will require less time to study. Tip number 50. Have fun. For some people, you are only in college or university once. Make sure you have fun. College is a time for new experiences, a time to meet new friends and learn new things. Always focus on your studies. However, make sure that you build in time to have these wonderful experiences, Get out into the community, do some volunteering, and spend time with friends. That's it for me this week, guys. This has been our top 50 tips for your academic and student life. We cannot believe we just recorded our 50th episode of the Homework Help Show, and we look forward to bringing you more valuable content. We hope you found a few tips that you can incorporate into your life. As always, if you have any questions, hit us up on our social media platforms using the hashtag AskHHG. Share your comments with us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Find us by searching Homework Help Global.